Well, hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. We are looking through the uh, prophets of the Old Testament. We've been doing a study from Genesis all the way through Kings, giving a huge chunk of history of where we came from, where the Jewish people came from, how the kings got established, and eventually how they all wound up in captivity in Babylon. That's where we're at in the history of the world here. Uh, now what we've done is we're stopping, we're looking at some of these prophets and showing where they fit in all of this. Most of these prophets are a result of the times of the kings. Uh, we read about these kings, some of them were good, but most of them were horrid. And talk about God's patience, I mean God was talking to these guys, warning them, begging them, pleading with them to stop doing what they were doing, warn them the judgment would come. Uh, and they just wouldn't listen. So anyway, we're, we're looking at some of these. Uh, we've already gone through three or four of these books now. And uh, kind of putting them in order as best as our best guess is uh, the order that they took place. Uh, and uh, giving some, some context to these prophets in the Old Testament. You know, like uh, you know Amos and you know Jonah and some of these different books that we've been taking a look at. Joel that we looked at last week. Uh, now we're to Isaiah. Now... Uh, I mentioned to you, or, or talk, told you last week, that in the Old Testament prophets, they put them in two categories. You have the, the major prophets and the minor prophets. And the real distinction was the major prophets had a lot to say, and the minor prophets didn't have that much to say. So we've been looking at these little tiny books, you know, Joel and Jonah and Amos or whatever it is, you know, da 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 and kind of giving some context, what kings they were talking to, warning them against judgment, what their whole deal was, trying to explain what had just happened or what is going to happen and warning them. And, and amazingly, even though God kept warning them of the judgment that was coming, he would also prophesy and say that I will not forget you and I will restore you in the end. So anyway, so now we get to Isaiah. Isaiah is now a major prophet. It is not without fear and trembling that I even tackle the book of Isaiah. It's a, it's a big deal and we certainly will not read it all. Um, you're certainly encouraged to read it all, but you've got, you know, Isaiah, you've got Jeremiah, you've got Ezekiel. These are like the major prophets who had so much to say about uh, the nation. Um, speaking either to Judah uh, or to Israel, remember we had the two nations. Uh, the ten tribes of the north were known as Israel. The other two tribes in the south known as Judah. Uh, Israel... Uh, Ezekiel talks a lot to Israel, but also to Judah. Isaiah speaks a lot to Judah, the southern uh, tribes, warning them about what's going to happen because they wouldn't repent. Now, um, Isaiah is, you could break it really into two halves. There's lots of different ways you can break it up, actually. Uh, the most generic would be uh, the first half, the first you know, 40 chapters, 39 chapters, chapters 1 through 39. Uh, Isaiah is speaking warnings to Judah and warning them of the judgment that's going to come uh, because of their sin. And then the last uh, 40 chapters, 40 through 66, 66 chapters, hence the major prophet. This is kind of a thick book of the Old Testament here, uh, Old Testament, um, talking about how God will restore them and, and some uh, significant prophecies. Now, Isaiah gave some amazingly specific prophecies about the nation of Israel and specifically about the Messiah. In fact, they are so specific 
and so blatant and so clear that in reality, if you're a Jew, you've got a problem. Because, uh, and we will read this as we go into Isaiah, as he prophesies of the Messiah, he virtually describes at times play by play of Jesus, describing Jesus to an incredible degree. So much so that um, if you're a Jew and you believe the words of the prophet Isaiah, to not acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah of, of, of fulfilling these prophets is very problematic. And they know it's problematic. And in fact, they go uh, to great lengths to try and say uh, that some of these prophecies really weren't saying what we think they were saying. They think that Christians are misinterpreting them. Of course, they have to do this. And then other parts of it are so blatantly clear of the description of Jesus that many Jewish scholars believe that what Christians did is they read Isaiah and then went and wrote into the Gospels describing what Isaiah had said. Because it's so clear, it's so blatantly clear that it's, it's, it's really mind-boggling. If you're truly a Jew and, you, and believe Isaiah as you should, to dismiss Jesus as the Messiah is, a, is, is virtually impossible because Jesus fulfilled almost everything Isaiah said he would do. Again, so much so that they dismiss it by saying that Christians actually rewrote the New Testament after reading Isaiah and added portions of it describing Jesus in this way, and that's how they explain that, well, sure, of course, Jesus fulfilled all that, but he didn't really do that. They wrote that in later. So desperate is their attempt to dismiss the prophecies of Isaiah. Now, if you believe that, you know, then obviously they were into a huge conspiratorial perspective. You know, the Christians creating this incredible conspiracy of forcing Jesus to be the Messiah, uh, which almost takes more faith, quite frankly. Or, uh, you've got a problem, because how can you explain that Jesus is not the Messiah once you understand the book of Isaiah? And the New Testament quotes a lot of the book of Isaiah. In fact, I think it's going to take a little while to get through all this. I think we'll, we'll, I want to show you in the New Testament how many times they quote in Christian teaching and in theology and refer back to the book of Isaiah because it was so clear about describing Jesus uh, who we believe to be the Son of God, the Messiah. All right, so uh, we'll take a look at that. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of interesting uh, verses in here that, that uh, are, are, are very unusual, and we'll kind of pick them up as we go. Uh, what I'll do is, well, let's start with just chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll kind of read through chapter 1 to give you a sense of, of uh, really the first 40 chapters or so. We'll kind of go through it, but we're not going to read it all verse by verse, but, but let's do it with uh, chapter 1, okay? So here we go, Isaiah. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw during the reigns of, and then he rattles off these kings. We read about these kings, okay? Uh, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. You remember in Kings when Isaiah came and said, Hey, Hezekiah, you're going to die. It's over with, baby. Get everything in order. And before he even left the palace... Uh, Hezekiah cried out to God and repented and God heard him and told Isaiah, okay, go back, tell him he's got 15 more years or whatever the deal was. So this is all during these kings' time. 
So now what we're doing, we've already read that. We're going looking specifically from these prophets' perspective. So he lived through uh, the rule of these uh, one, two, three, four kings. Okay. So he cries out, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up. Talking about the children of Israel. But they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master. The donkey, his owner's manger. But Israel does not know my people do not understand. Which is kind of a rebuke and a little insulting as he's basically saying, you guys are dumber than a donkey and an ox. But even a donkey and an ox know to whom they belong and where they live. But Israel never got that. They, they, they'd gotten so far from God, they didn't realize, hey, you belong to me. And it's of note that uh, in the New Testament, God really still views us as people of faith in the same context. We are God's people. We are a holy nation. We're now a nation of priests, which is really a fascinating concept when you read in the New Testament, because in the Old Testament, only certain people could be priests. Only certain people had access to the presence of God. Remember in Joel, he prophesied about the day when the Holy Spirit would fall and your sons and daughters, everybody could be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the day today. That was very radical from their standpoint. Back in that day, it was only selected people. But now in this time, uh, not only is the Holy Spirit fallen on everybody, uh, the New Testament writers said that we are now a nation of priests. There's not just one or two special guys who can get to God. We can all get directly to God through this incredible uh, access to God through Christ, which is the, the incredible miracle of the Old Testament. I mean, the New Testament, when you look in terms of how they lived throughout the Old Testament. Okay, so. So anyway, God still has that same energy towards us, considering us to be his people. We are to be different, just like they were to be different. Now, he made them different in very many, many, very many, many ways. Uh, The Jews to this day, you can spot a Hasidic Jew a mile away. Why? They've got the curls and the hat and the robes and the things dangling from the side and you know because they were taught and they couldn't eat certain things and the whole Jewish culture of course circumcision yeehaw you know they knew how to mark a boy I'll tell you that and everything about them was so that they would be different than everybody else and while we don't live under that kind of legalistic rule anymore thanks be to God make no mistake that was just a foreshadow of what is to come And that hasn't changed. God still wants us to be different. But now different in heart. Different in values. Different in morality. Different in the way that we uh, conduct ourselves in the earth. We need to be more focused on being the people of God. And less concerned about being like the pagans with which we live amongst. You know, sadly, so many Christians today, uh, you can't tell much difference between a Christian and a pagan. Because the Christian acts and thinks just like the pagan. He's got, oh yeah, what would Jesus do bracelet? But he also has, what would Oprah do? And what would, you know, uh, Jolene, and Angelina Jolie do? And what would, you know, President Barack Obama do? And everybody's got, they got all their different things. And they take their values from everywhere. Just like they weren't supposed to do in the Old Testament. Got them in a lot of trouble. So we see a lot of the same similarities that got them in trouble, which gets us in trouble today. We are to be a unique people, wholly dedicated to God. Uh, different Then here, here this was forced on them from the outside. Don't do this, touch this, don't touch that. Worship here, don't worship there. Work here, 
don't work there. I mean, they even told you when you could make love to your wife and when you couldn't make love to your wife. I mean, we're talking some serious rules here that we don't have to obey today. But all of this was an outside form of making them different until the Messiah would come. And then God says, I will now write my law on their hearts. And it won't be these external laws. It's going to be uh, by the Spirit of God. But make no mistake, we need to act out this glorious experience of being people of faith who've been transformed by God from the inside uh, that works out in our lives today. And now we love those who hate us and we're kind to those who despitefully use us and we forgive those who transgress against us and at least we're supposed to uh, and not be living in sexual immorality and all the crazy uh, consumptive things that we do in our nation. We might live in a nation that has forgotten God, but we cannot forget God. And we need to be different, okay? So the big slam, Israel doesn't even know. A donkey knows who he belongs to, but Israel doesn't know. And I kind of wonder sometimes today about us. Anyway, he cries out, uh, Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, corrupt, or children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. This is the theme throughout all this. And so many of these prophets were saying, this is what has happened. They have completely turned their back on me, says God. Why should you be beaten anymore? <laughs> what? Why should you persist in rebellion? It's kind of like, I keep knocking you upside the head. What does it take to get through to you? Man, if that doesn't describe a lot of Christians I know. Their heads constantly slamming up against the wall. Everything goes wrong for them. They won't turn from their sins, but they can't figure out why their lives are horrible. Why their marriages fail. Why they can't hold a job. Why everything financially is a disaster for them. Everything's constantly wrong in their lives. Not realize sometimes God's trying to get your attention. And in this case, he says, man, you guys, why, why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there's no soundness. Only wounds and welts and open sores. Not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. Good heavens, what do else do I got to do to you guys to get your attention? Your country is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you. Laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a field of melons, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom and would have been like Gomorrah. He's basically prophesying that after they get wiped out, there's going to be hard, virtually nothing left. Um, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Uh, now, it wasn't really Sodom and Gomorrah as we thought. Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed. But it's talking in a spiritual sense. We're talking about this sense of, of, of cities that have completely so abandoned God that God had to destroy them. So now he's talking to Israel, his people, as if they're Sodom and Gomorrah now. God forbid he should ever have to refer to us in those same kind of terms. He said, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and of fat of the fat of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Now, I have to understand, it's kind of shocking because they were taught the Old Testament law that they had to worship a certain way and sacrifice animals and stuff, all looking forward to the time of the Messiah. But 
he says, I hate all the stuff that you do. We, we, we read this in one of the, a couple of the minor prophets. They said the same thing. That they would come and they would worship and sing songs. God says, I hate your songs. I hate it when you get together. It makes me sick. Why? Because what they were doing is internally they were wicked to the core. But yet they kept going through the motions of worshiping God. Man, if that doesn't describe uh, some people. A lot of old denominations, man. They're deader than a doornail. I mean, they're so far from God. It's, you know, some of you know you were raised in churches like that. You went to church every Sunday. Nobody really took it seriously. You know, you'd go to church on Sunday and live like hell Monday through Saturday. Ask for forgiveness late Saturday night in confession or something. Go to church and then live like hell the rest of the week. I mean, good grief. But yet, very strict in how we worship and what we do. And we have our rituals and stuff. And God says, I hate that stuff. God is not interested in you, even in our church. You come to our church and you live terribly and you disobey God in every area of your life. And you're full of greed and sexual lust and just tearing everything apart in your life. But yet you come and you worship and you sing and you take communion and all this stuff. And, and it's like God saying, you know, I, 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 that doesn't do it for me. In fact, he says, I hate it when you do that. Because it's so hypocritical from what you really ought to be. So even though God had told them they're supposed to be these things, he said, I'm not even interested in them because their hearts were so wicked. He says, when you come uh, to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my court? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Hello? I thought we were supposed to bring offerings. God didn't, didn't even care anymore. It, it's really very sad. Um, you, you know, it was a good example is... Uh, Couples that are, are so at each other's throat and they're on the verge of divorce and they're fighting through and they're fighting through and they're trying to wrestle. At some point, somebody's heart just it snaps and they just don't care anymore. And the other person, I've seen this where, you know, maybe the husband's been an idiot. She can't take it anymore and she snaps on the inside. And then he comes running back to her and I'll do anything. And what does she say? I don't care. It's too late. It's kind of like this with, with God, with, with these people at this point. Where they would bring these things, they would try to appease God, but they had so gone over and so offended that he basically said, I don't, I don't care anymore. Um, of course, he still did care and prophesied of their eventual redemption, but you get the point. Okay. He says, your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, and convocations, all the things they were supposed to do. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Evil assemblies, they're coming to worship God. He couldn't stand it. Because of, of the hypocrisy of it all. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates, God says. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bear, bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide myself from you. Oh my gosh, how awful is this? I'm spreading my hands. God, we're praying to you, God. And God, is now I'm hiding from you guys. This is how bad it had gotten with them. Now, let me encourage you here a little bit because I'm... Very quick to point out that we have some of these same problems today. While we do have some of these same problems today, and some of you are struggling with sin in your life, and I get it. You have to remember, God was very, 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 very patient with them. It took hundreds of years before God got to this point. So my encouragement, my warning to you is be serious about your life. My encouragement is if you're struggling, don't freak out and think that you're in this category because you're still struggling with sins and haven't gotten it all together yet. Because God is extraordinarily patient. Okay? If there's one thing, remember, Jonah got mad at God because he's so patient and forgiving. It ticked him off. 
He, wanted, he didn't want to go preach to Nineveh because he knew, I know you. As soon as I say, I'm sorry, you'll forgive them. That's God's heart. And if you keep coming to God in your struggles and say, God, I'm sorry, he will continue to forgive. He will continue to restore and stuff. But you have to understand, this, where these people are at, it would be like if, if you rebel against God and ignore God for decades in your life and get so hard-hearted, at some point God is just, whoa, you just can't take it anymore. Um, you, when you spread out your hands in prayer, and again, I just want to encourage you because some people, they get so guilt-ridden because they struggle in sin, they, they don't feel like they can pray and God will listen to them. God will hear you. God hasn't given up on you. Now, if you do this forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, at some point, God's not going to listen to you anymore. Okay, you got to be careful. Uh, but that was their case. I will hide my eyes from you, he says. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Uh, your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. He's trying to get them just do right. Okay, you want to please me? Do the right thing. Stop doing wrong. Do justice. Help those that are hurting. Encourage the oppressed. Visit the fatherless, guys that don't have any dads. Encourage the widows without husbands. You know, this, this God is saying is more important to me than the fact that you go through the exact right rituals when you worship and raise your hands or offer an offering or whatever the case may be. And then this next verse is a very, very famous verse of scripture. If you're involved in Christianity very long, you'll start hearing this verse uh, quite often. And Isaiah 118, very famous. It says, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. I love that. Even after God went through all this, I can't stand your prayers, I can't stand your assembly, you guys make me sick, I want to puke when I see you. And again, I'm not trying to discourage some people get real guilt-ridden, but, but look at God, look at his heart. He says, listen, reason with me. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Even in this point, when God is just... Can't take it anymore. He stops and says, if you'll just stop. If you'll just stop, I'll forgive you. Even though your sins be red as scarlet, I'll make you white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, God says, they shall be like Wool. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. Even at this point. See, I'm, that's why I wanted to point out, for those of you who are struggling, and I'm sure there's lots of you at all the different campuses listening to me, that your life does struggle. And, so, and you think, oh my gosh, you know, Isaiah said, Pastor Mark says, you know, God won't listen to me when I raise my hands in prayer. No, 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 we're talking these people pushed it way beyond the limits. Okay, we're not talking about guys who are struggling for a while. These guys were entrenched in their sin and rebelled deliberately against God for hundreds of years. And God couldn't take it anymore. But even as he's pronouncing judgment, he reaches out to them. Let's reason together. Think about it. Think about it. If you'll just stop. If you'll just stop it. Let's do the right things. Ask for forgiveness. I will forgive. As wicked as you are and as, and as horrible as he just described here. I'll wash that all away. Hallelujah. That's the message of grace. That's what we celebrate as Christians. 
Um, but what you don't want to do as Christians is live in a constant state where you're f- constantly fighting against God. That's very, very bad for you. He says, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the best of the land. But if you resist and rebel, which they did, they still wouldn't listen. They didn't listen to Isaiah. They wouldn't listen to any of these guys. They just wouldn't stop. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword from the mouth of the Lord. As for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See how the faithful city has become a harlot. She once was full of justice. Righteousness used to dwell in her. But now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your choice wine is diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels. Companions of thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. Money is a money, 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 money. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. They don't care. They're nobodies. They're nothing. They have no insignificance. The New Testament talks about this, by the way. The church has to be very, very careful that we treat everybody the same. Everybody the same. James wrote, he says, man, don't you be taking some poor guy and saying, why don't you sit in the back, but then the guys with lots of money in the church, here, sit down and, and have these really nice places and get all this attention. Uh, it's, it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. Because what they would do is, the people who didn't have money, they would neglect their needs. Because uh, they're nobodies. The church has to always let everybody know that you matter, that you matter, that you matter. doesn't matter how much money you have. Uh, and some, you know, some of you have great wealth. Some of you don't have any wealth at all. Some of you are a constant case of walking poverty. But you need to know that in the kingdom of God, you still matter. They didn't. Therefore, the Lord, the Almighty... Uh, The Lord Almighty, the mighty one of Israel declares, Ah, I will get relief from my foes and avenge myself of my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. I will restore your judges as in the days of old, your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness and faithful city. So he's prophesying, you know, everything's going to be taken from, from you, but you will be restored. Even speaking hope to a people that were doomed for judgment. Zion will be redeemed with justice, God says. Her penitent ones with righteousness. But rebels and sinners will both be broken. And those who forsake the Lord will perish. You will be ashamed because of the sacred oaks in which you have delighted. It has to do with uh, idol worship. You will be disgraced because of the gardens that you have chosen. You will be like an oak with fading leaves. Like a garden without water. The mighty man will become tinder and his work a spark. Both will burn together with no one to quench the fire. Wow. That was just chapter one. Okay, but it really sets it up. Now, we're not going to keep reading all of this over and over and over again. But holy cow. Pretty, uh, pretty intense stuff. Uh, and that, this is the message throughout all of this. Really, all these prophets. That was, this is basically their message. You know, you've forgotten me. You've turned against me. I have reached out and reached out and reached out. And again, for some reason, I just feel I need to emphasize this uh, for fear of, of someone walking under condemnation. You think God hates you and is mad at you because you keep kicking your dog or you keep looking at porn or you keep doing something you know you shouldn't do it. 
by all means, stop doing that, which is wrong. But God doesn't hate you. Okay? Even as wicked as these people were, all God said was, let's reason together. If you'll turn from this stuff, ask for forgiveness. I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. I'll make you white as snow. Well, Pastor, I might mess up again next week. Okay. So you mess up again next week. You come to God again. Make it right. As long as you stay in a place where you don't justify your sin. See, that's where. God, God, God is not angry and bitter at people who struggle with sin. A lot of people struggle with sin. And let's face it. Some of you guys, some of you were, you were 20 years old before you became a Christian. 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old before you became a Christian. And now you're excited and you're still struggling with stuff. Duh, do you think? I mean, for 40 years, you've been doing bad things. For 40 years, every time you got mad, you're cursed. For 40 years, every time you saw some chick with some hochi mamas on her, you went, oh, check out the hochi. I mean, all these years, you have done wrong. And you've been, some of you are quite fabulous at it. You're very well rehearsed at it. You're highly experienced in doing the wrong thing. You come to Christ, he forgives you, and you start out with this glorious excitement, but then you keep finding yourself tripping why? Because you've got a lot of patterns in you. you got to know God doesn't hate you because of these patterns. What ticks off God is when you won't repent, you don't ask for forgiveness, and that you justify it. And you say, well, there's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't matter. It's okay. It doesn't matter. I, I know, I, you know, I, I, people say you shouldn't look at porn, but God doesn't care if you look at porn. I, you know, I, God created the body for everyone to enjoy. You know what I mean? All kinds of stupid stuff in their heads. That... That kind of thing ticks off God. All right? But the fact that you might struggle in whatever area, anger, violence, greed, fear, all the different things, again, a lot of you have decades of rehearsing life the wrong way. It's going to take a little time for you to change the patterns. Remember, Christianity is different. You don't straighten out first and find God. God touches you first, and now you got to straighten out. What does that mean? Screw up, 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 less and less, screw ups and less, screw ups and not so many screw ups, and I'm doing great, and I'm doing great, whoops, screwed up again, and then, and then I'm not, and then finally, you just, you get to a place where you are just walking free of this stuff. That's what Paul said, you need to be transformed. How, how? Change the way you think. Get more of God's thoughts in you than the old thoughts. Renew your mind. Be transformed. Learn these disciplines. Grow in your faith. When you mess up, get up again. Okay? Don't give up hope because you struggle with stuff. Now, if you just blatantly keep doing everything God tells you not to do, and then you wonder, what's wrong with my life? How come my life stinks? Well, hello? You know, this is where, it's like that scripture, God says, how many times I got to smack you upside the head for crying out loud? Okay, let's not be like that. Let's not be like them. But understand, even though you're struggling, God is patient. He is forgiving. He is full of grace. He will help you as you learn righteousness. That's the purpose of church. That's the purpose of us all gathering together to encourage each other to do life right. Okay. That's why the Bible says confess your faults to one another. Why? Because we got a lot of faults. Confess your sins. Why? Because we have a lot of sins. All right? So the fact of struggling and tripping and falling and all these things, I just want you to know, does not put you in this category. Okay? What puts you in this category, God forbid, is if you're justifying your sin, 
You don't care. You're going to live the way you want to live. You don't care what God's word says. Then you come and sing and praise God anyway. This, that's a bad place for you. You don't want to be there. All right? Let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Okay, now next Wednesday night, we'll pick it up. And we'll keep going through Isaiah to see what else we can learn from this major prophet.